Hello and welcome to another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I am the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I am happy to have you with me today as I discuss another one of my well-worn baseball analogies, painting the corners. And what we mean by painting the corners is this, is uh, every investor, uh, whether it's an individual like yourself and maybe you're investing in uh, your um, your own small real estate portfolio, or whether it's a firm like Mara Poling where we're building a larger multifamily portfolio, everyone has a target property. But they've also got what we call a strike zone. Uh, in other words, a little box they're trying to get their deals to fit within. And if the deal's outside of that box, then it's maybe something they're not interested in. Uh, I call it a strike zone. Uh, I'm an old baseball guy, so uh, so I enjoy that. So what we're gonna talk about today is painting the corners, how you do it, why you do it, and what exactly do I mean when I say painting the corners? So thanks for uh, for joining me for the next 20, 25 minutes or so. By the way, my apologies if my voice is a little raspy. It's been a wonderfully exciting week, lots of great conversations. Uh, feel free, if you'd like to have a conversation with me, to shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. You can also swing by the website, go to the Learning Center at marapolling.com. Lots of good information there, webinars that you can uh, participate in, that you can download, uh, and uh, some good uh, info you can download, the information kit on the fund and some other background that'll help you understand multifamily a little better. Uh, but I've had a lot of those sessions this week, so my voice is a little, uh, a little tired, and uh, my apologies if I... Uh, uh, crack a little on you there. So, so painting the corners. Mara polling. Our objective is uh, secure, stable investments that then generate tax advantage, cash flow, and equity growth. So, security and stability is that foundation that we start with, and our acquisitions are designed to deliver that. And uh, that may or may not be a philosophy you agree with. Personally, we think everybody ought to have some real estate in their portfolio and everybody has money that should be invested securely and stably. Not everyone is going to want to invest money more speculatively. Some will and maybe some won't, but everyone's got some money that they flat out just don't want to lose, that they want to take good care of and they want to get a nice return for it. Number one, though, they want it to be secure and stable. And that's the kind of work that we do. In order to do that in the multifamily space, we have a definition that we want to look for. We have a, this is what our properties need to look like. We, we like class B, it's the Goldilocks class. We talked about that previously. We like value adds, light value adds, not rehabs, not momentum plays, right? We want properties that have an opportunity for us to put a modest amount of money into them, five, eight, $10,000 a unit and drive rents 15, 20%, something in that range. We want them to be in growth markets, right? So markets that are more resilient during downturns and have bigger upsides during uh, growth and expansion. We like them to have modern infrastructure. So we really prefer to stay away from uh, boilers and chillers, or we just don't do, you know, the 
wall-mounted uh, electric heat and the uh, uh, you know uh, uh, motel-style AC unit shoved through the wall kind of thing. Uh, those just don't work for us. And we like to focus on performing assets. So these are assets that are generally speaking about 90% occupied. We're not looking for 60% occupancy that we're going to uh, then make some big turnaround in. So that's that's what we're looking for. Um, now, generally, you would think when you're trying to build a portfolio, you'd want to hit that bullseye. You'd want to be straight down the center of the strike zone with each and every single deal, right? So that you're optimizing your variables. And that sounds great. And I think there's two problems with that. One, it's just flat out not achievable. You're not going to be able to build a portfolio. We certainly haven't been able to do it where you can simply go out and repeatedly put them straight down the pipe. It just isn't going to happen. Uh, the best pitchers in the major leagues, the best pitchers in history have not been able to consistently throw a ball in the exact same spot every single time. It just doesn't happen. Right. Um, so that's one reason. The other is uh, we believe you actually get a healthier portfolio if you move around inside the strike zone. So that's the key here. This is some variability, some diversity, but inside the strike zone. So the strike zone for us is class B, as an example. A class A or a class C property would be outside of the strike zone. And you can absolutely make money investing in Class C and in Class A. Those have different risk profiles. And our risk profile is best served by Class B. So, uh, so Class B is in our space. Now, there's a lot of volatility or variability, I should say, in Class B assets, right? So there are B-plus assets that are on the verge of being an A, uh, we've got one of those in the portfolio, uh, and there are B assets that have been run like Cs and really need some repositioning. Got one of those too in our fund portfolio. So those are both B assets, meaning they're inside the strike zone, but one's over on the left side and one's over on the right side of the strike zone. You know, we're painting the edges with, with that, right? So. Uh, that's the, you know, the thought I want to play with today with you is this idea of within a specific definition, within a strike zone, what are the ways that you can paint the corners so that you can have some strength in your portfolio? If, if everything is the exact same, right? Uh, you ever play the game Jenga, right? You know, where you stack the blocks on each other and all that stuff. Imagine if you simply stacked them one on top of each other. Th there'd be no stability to that at all, right? They're all the exact same, but you're stacking them on top of each other. It's going to fall over. The stability comes from them all being a little bit different, but interconnected, right? And that's the same concept here. So I'm going to talk about four different ways that you could paint the corners. There are certainly more than this, but this will help uh, demonstrate the, um, the, um, the idea. So uh, let's start with probably what would be the one that maybe came to your mind first, and that is geographic diversity. So 
our strike zone says we want to be in growth markets. Uh, we at Marpoling do an analysis every year of 380 some odd markets in the United States. We benchmark them against 17 different criteria, everything from uh, job growth and income growth and population growth, uh, regulatory environment to uh, absorption and uh, cap rate compression, a whole host of different factors. Uh, those are then uh, ranked against uh, U.S. averages and some other statistics that we uh, that we have identified as being uh, valuable. And when you do all that, the 380 some on markets boil down to about 25 to 27 markets every year. It's interesting that it's that consistent that meet those criteria or exceed them. Half of those markets are in Texas, hence the reason we have a, a portfolio in Texas, the, the Mara Polling Total Return Fund portfolio is focused in Texas. Doesn't mean we don't like other markets. There are absolutely markets outside of Texas we like. Right now, we're simply focused on Texas for these particular deployments. Now, within Texas, though, there's a lot of geographic diversity, right? So Lubbock is not the same as Houston, right? They're very different markets. They both happen to be on the list um, we prioritize Houston over Lubbock for a couple of different reasons, but Lubbock's a great market to be able to make investments in, uh, as is Tyler and Waco and El Paso and Fort Worth. And as you can see, there's a whole host of those. So we could do all of the deployments in um, Tyler, Texas. Talk about Tyler for a minute. We could, we could put the entire portfolio in Tyler and we'd be inside the strike zone that's not gonna be as healthy and robust as if we had a property in San Antonio and one in Waco and maybe one or two in the DFW Metroplex and one in Tyler and one down in Houston. And that's actually a pretty accurate description of what our portfolio uh, for, the, uh, for the fund is structured like. So that geographic diversity, while they're all very similar assets, right, class B, value add, uh, when we say a growth market, well, they're in different growth markets. So that's one way you can paint the corners is having some geographic diversity. Now, those of you that are listening, that are doing this work on your own, that aren't investing with, with Mara Polling or aren't investing with someone else like us, and you're building your own personal real estate portfolio, going to be a real challenge to get some geographic diversity. Again, as we've talked in the past, you're going to want those kind of close so you can keep an eye on them from a management standpoint. Um, so that may be a bit of a challenge. Um, and you don't want to just be diversified just to be diversified geographically and end up in markets that don't meet the right criteria. So, uh, so that may be a challenge there. Uh, that obviously would be one of the reasons why you'd want to work with Mara Polling or someone like us is to get that geographic diversity uh, capability built in. So that's one of the ways you can paint the corners. The next I would discuss would be hold periods. We like a five-year hold. By the end of a five-year hold, we have taken a great deal of advantage of the depreciation capabilities in real estate, in particular those supported by cost segregation, in which we've been able to generate some really meaningful losses uh, and tax sheltering during that first five years. When you get to year six, it doesn't stop. 
it's just now that it's kind of the same as straight line depreciation, which is still fantastic. Um, it doesn't really fall off the cliff, if you will, until you get out past 10 years, because that's where you get to that point where you've you've pulled that depreciation forward, had to come from somewhere. So around five years is where we would say, you know what, you ought to start thinking about doing something with that asset. And the other reason we think five years makes sense is our value add strategy takes us from a position where we start out with leverage that's in the high 60s, maybe 70%, something like that. And it drops to the low 60s and then the high 50s and then the low 50s and maybe even into the 40s. So we're getting some pretty healthy, lazy equity. That, that extra 10% that's sitting in there isn't doing anything. It's just sitting there. Um, and by the time you get out there near year five, it's like, well, I'd love to have that money working instead of just sitting there. So the combination of lazy equity and tax advantages would drive us to say five years is, you know, kind of a good spot. We don't have, our, our assets are not structured in such a way that every one of them is going to trade at five years. Some are set up for five. Um, some are targeted for seven or eight, um, some as long as 10. Um, all of our assets are structured in which there's a lot of flexibility in terms of when we could exit. Uh, we actually have an ex asset right now that we're, uh, that we're exiting earlier than five years. And that happens actually about half the time that we exit prematurely because we get a, uh, a quite favorable offer and then we, uh, we, we move forward on that. So, uh, so some variability in the hold period that is built into an asset, or at least what the target hold is, um, is healthy. Now you want to stay inside your box, right? So, uh, the corners of our strike zone would be short term, right? So we wouldn't want to plan an asset where we have to get out at three years. Um, that's too short a period of time. There's the risk profile is different from that. We wouldn't want to do that. Nor would we want to put ourselves in a position where we had to stay in an asset 10 years, where there was simply no way to extricate ourselves earlier than that. So five would be right in the center of the strike zone, but there's absolutely room to maneuver around. And again, we want flexibility on all those. Another factor that you could look at when you think about this painting the corner uh, methodology is the range of value add work. So I mentioned when I went through the sort of down the pipe uh, perfection of the strike zone, uh, light value add. There is no standard to these terms in the industry. Um, I, I wish you luck uh, as you talk to various folks. Whenever you hear anybody say anything about value add or whatever, ask them more about what that means. What it means for us is this, is we want to be able to make modest investments, preferably heavily oriented towards interiors, maybe 80 cents on the dollar or so, 75 cents, something like that, going to interiors. And we'd like to be able to move rents 15 to 20%. That's what we would describe. That's our value add model. As you shrink that, right? If you put less and less capital in and or move the rents less and less, Maybe you only move the rents 10% or you only move them 5% or there's not really much to do. You're only going to, you're going to clean up a few bad units, but generally they're in good shape. Then that moves from being what we call a value add 
property to a momentum property, right? So you're simply buying it and it's gonna perform based on the momentum, the energy that it has in it today. So a momentum property would be outside of our strike zone. On the other end of the spectrum, if there's a property where it's not five or 8,000 or even 10,000 a door, it's 15,000, 20,000 a door, you're gonna be able to move rents 25%, 30%, or it's not just a combination of rents, but it's we're gonna move rents and we're gonna re-tenant the entire property and go from 60% occupancy to 92% occupancy, which by the way, there are absolutely investments that look like that out there and they have really excellent returns and they have a very different risk profile than what we do. So that's outside of our strike zone, right? We would draw a boundary there. So inside our strike zone, we can have properties where, you know what, we don't have to do quite as much to every unit. Maybe it's only three or $4,000 and we're gonna move the rents 10% and others where it might be eight, nine, $10,000 and you're gonna move the rents 20%. And keep in mind that we're talking about two different um, measures there, dollars and percentage, right? So if I put $8,000 in a unit and I can move the rents just 10%, well, if my, rent, if my starting rents are $1,000 to start with, that's a different equation than if my starting rents are $600, right? In terms of what my returns would be. But we, we use those two metrics, kind of dollars that we would invest and the percentage we would move, uh, we would move rents. And in our portfolio, in the Mara Polling Total Return Fund portfolio, our assets range from about 10% in terms of rent movement to around 20%. That's the range over which they exist. So again, kind of off to the different corners. And the capital investment is in that neighborhood of five to $10,000. Some of them on the lower end, some of them on the, on the higher end. So another example of how you paint the corners. The final one I would bring up uh, today is cap rate. Now this might be one that you're gonna say, whoa, wait a minute. I, I get it that you wanna be able to buy uh, for a good price. So you wanna be able to buy at a, effectively at a high cap rate. And when you sell, you wanna sell at a low cap rate. Why would you wanna do anything different than that? Um, well, I'll tell you that <laughs> we think there's value in having some uh, variability to the cap rates, the purchase caps and the market caps in the portfolio that you've acquired. Again, there are boundaries, right? So we're generally not gonna buy assets at cap rates above eight and a half eight and a half percent or so. That's not because I wouldn't like to buy a property at an eight and a half or a nine. It's just that in the markets we're active in, that's gonna be the C assets. That's gonna be the class C properties. And we're not doing class Cs. Uh, so the best deals we've been able to acquire in the class B space have been start has started around eight and then come down from there. On the other side, our financial model, when we model out our underwrite, it starts to break down. It, it performs really well at eight, at seven, at six. When you get below six, it's it becomes very specific to the individual asset. And it absolutely doesn't perform when you get into the low fives. So that's where you get outside the strike zone. Now, inside the strike zone, that's a pretty big range, right? So you could go from 
sort of the high fives all the way up to eight. Well, why wouldn't you wanna buy just everything at eight? And the reason for that is this, is if I'm buying at eight, even if I'm getting a deal, that means I'm probably buying in a market that's a seven or a six and a half um, great markets. And, and we have properties we've purchased like that where we bought them for an eight and they're in a six and a half market uh, and we get some really nice value out of that. We also have assets that we purchased in the sixes and they're in five cap markets. Now what's good about that, the lower the cap market that you're in, the more leverage you have on NOI increases. So remember, a cap rate is just another way of describing how much anyone will pay for $1 of income that they're purchased, $1 of NOI, right? So if you're going to pay uh, $12.50 to buy $1 of NOI, that's an eight cap. If you're going to pay uh, I have to do all this off the top of my head, $16.65 for a dollar of NOI, that's a six cap. If you're paying $20, that's a five cap, right? So if I'm in a market that's in the fives or, or actually at a five cap, and I can drive a incremental dollar of NOI, I get an extra $3.33 in a five cap market compared to what I do in a six cap market. So having some assets that are in five cap markets is good, but you don't want all of them there, right? You want some that are in six, six and a half cap markets that you paid an eight for. Um, so again, you want some variance in all of that and our portfolio describes all that. So if I were to take the MARA polling total return fund portfolio and map it out using what we just described, there actually wouldn't be anything that would be right down the center of strike. Everything is actually out towards the edges or the corners. And that uh, diversity provides strength inside the portfolio, a resilience that as we move throughout the economic cycle and as we move throughout time over the next five, eight, 10 years, it provides for a healthy portfolio that will perform well. So as I said, there's a lot of good material at the Learning Center that you can follow up on. Some of what I've gone over today, you may take issue with. You may say, oh, I don't know that I agree with that. Great, shoot me an email. Would love to not only have a conversation with you, but every now and then we do a Q&A session uh, uh, here. We've actually, uh, we're probably overdue for one. And uh, if you have questions, shoot them to me and we'll, uh, we'll include those in the Q&A um, uh, podcast that we'll do here coming up probably in the next month or so we'll uh, we'll get that scheduled if you uh, if you'd like to learn more about the Mara polling total return fund because I've referenced it quite a bit today again just shoot me an email pat at marapolling.com m-a-r-a-p-o-l-i-n-g.com I hope you enjoyed learning a little more about how you paint the corners uh, in the multifamily space today and I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling.